In a world filled with information, where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! There are really three phases of financial independence, achieving it, living it, and passing it on. On today's show, what you need to know about wills and trusts and how to determine what you and your family need. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. Welcome in to the Get Ready for the Future show. Glad to have you along once again. I'm Scott Inman along with Janet Walker and special guest today, Chris Rippey, attorney at Rippey Steps Law, as we talk about the right way to leave a legacy on the program today. There's a song by Kenny Chesney. I'm a big country music fan. I know you guys like it. Oh, yeah. yeah 100%. Yeah. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now, right? That's right. It, there is a, an aversion to thinking about what is going to happen after you die from the standpoint of what you leave behind. And that's kind of the jumping off point here today. I talked about the three phases of financial independence. We can kind of get our mind around achieving it. We can kind of get our mind around living it. That can really be some nice dreams and, and thoughts about how you're going to live your lifestyle of financial independence. But then you're not going to probably spend it all, right? You're probably not going to have zero assets when you leave this world. So there does need to be a plan in place of how to pass those assets on. And that's when we get into estate planning. Chris, that's why we brought you in here today, because obviously you do this on a day-to-day basis. So thanks for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. And Janet, you work closely with Chris a lot uh, with clients. He's been very kind to be able to come into our uh, meeting rooms and with our clients to kind of work through the estate planning. But when we talk about the jumping off point here today, we want to talk a little bit about the importance of just giving some thought in general to What's going to happen after you die? Yeah, I, I think it's it's not something that anybody wakes up on any given day and says, hey, let me think about what happens after I'm gone. You know, it, it's not something that you really want to think about. But here's the question. Do you love the people you're going to leave behind? Hmm. And if the answer to that is yes, then it's worth your time to think about and prepare for when they're gone. I, I'll tell you, I had a meeting just this week with a, a long-term client uh, of mine, and I looked at him and I said, I said, hey, I got a question for you. And he grinned real big and he said, I know what you're going to ask me. And I said, I said, what What am I going to ask you? And he said, you're going to ask me if I've done my estate planning yet, and uh-huh. I haven't. And I went, well, I was actually going to ask you something else and then get to that later, but since you mentioned it, and we started talking about it, and, and we have the type of relationship that we can joke quite a bit, and I put up on the board, he was taking a picture of some other stuff, and I said, wait, 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 before you take that picture, and I put on the board, I said, do your estate plan, and I put an exclamation with a little heart after it, and I said, I said, here's the deal, you have come in and you've talked to me about your mom and how hard it has been to deal with everything of hers and she's still living but what you're doing now and then what you're going to have to do after she's gone and I said and you live four hours away from your beloved daughter Mm. you talk to me every time about how much you love her and knowing that that is true this is the greatest gift you can give to her 
for when you're gone. Yeah. And and he let me know soon after our appointment that he had his appointment set with the estate planning attorney That's to good. and one of one of Rippy's attorneys to uh, to work through that process with him. And we know it's a big ask, right? When we've yeah. brought people in to work through the finances and the retirement planning, uh, that that is a big ask to get all of that stuff together. So we talk about the phases of financial independence. Sometimes it does happen in phases, right? I want to get this in order, and then we're going to have the discussion about long-term care. We're going to have the discussion about estate planning. And sometimes it does take a little while for people to get to it, but it doesn't change the vital importance of it. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a real quick mention when we talk about the planning. We want to remind you that you can get half off your financial plan for the month of March. We are offering a March Madness offer in honor of the big dance, the NCAA tournament in March Madness. We're going to try to end the madness in the chaos of your financial lives. You can take advantage of the offer by texting the word madness to this number. 501-381-5228. Again, one more time. 501-381-5228. Or you can call in and schedule an appointment. 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. To get half off of your financial plan, call before the end of March. All right, so having your estate plan in order is considered to be important by a majority of Americans. People know it. But according to LegalZoom, only a third of us have actually documented their end-of-life plans. And of the estate plans made in 2021, a little over 75% were wills, less than 19% were trusts, and about 6% of people nominated a guardian for their young children. So on today's show, as we mentioned, the right way to leave a legacy. So Chris, as we dive in, Let's start with just the basics here, because we probably need to lay out some definitions. Sure. What is an estate? Sure. You know, people come to our office and they kind of throw phrases like that around, but everybody has an estate of some sort, right? I mean, everybody owns some personal property. The vast majority of us that are in adulthood own some sort of real estate. So Mm -hmm. an estate is really everything that you have combined from collectibles to money in the banks, IRAs, life insurance, your house. If you just add that up, when we're talking about distributing assets mm-hmm. at death, that's what we're talking about is who's getting what and when? How, how are you going to plan for that? And like you said earlier, it's just it's just another planning tool that you have. I mean, you, you plan for loved ones from birth all the way up from right. who's the correct babysitter and when do they what school do they go to and when do they go to it and it's just another it's just another tool in your bucket as a planning strategy. You're right. It's it's just the next step. Um, Chris, you and I have had the opportunity to talk quite a bit about how we both feel about uh, people just having a will and and sometimes that's what they have because that that's what they were told that they needed to sure. have. Um, what would your response be to that? We kind of jokingly refer to wills in our office as the C minus option. It, it got you by, but it's probably not the best tool. So when people, when they craft wills, what they don't recognize is a will doesn't really go into effect until after you pass away. So you have this document and it could be a, a 30 page, very well written document, but it, until it has been presented by a probate to a probate court judge, who says, yep, that's Janet's signature on there, and there's mm-hmm. the requisite number of signatures. Now I'm going to nominate this executor to go wind down her estate, and you have to report back to the judge every single thing you do. So it's this arduous, time-consuming process. It might get your estate where you wanted to go, 
but not when you wanted it to go there. Well, and and not cheaply, right? I mean, it, Correct. It, you're going to have to have an attorney walk you through. I mean, we haven't asked you what the term probate means yet. That's coming in just a moment. Sure, but yeah. really, that's what you're referencing is right. that the will does not help you avoid probate. In it fact, it, it, you're you're going to be forced into going through that's that. That's correct. It's a ticket right yeah. into, into the probate court process, um, which, which looks like you have to have a hearing in front of a judge who approves it and appoints mm-hmm. somebody, and then their job is to do whatever the will says to do. The other misconception that people get uh, kind of burned out on is that the will only governs assets that are in your individual name. So if you've got accounts that are jointly titled with somebody or you've got an Mm -hmm. IRA that has a listed beneficiary that you forgot to list some other ones on, the will is irrelevant for Mm -hmm. those. And Mm -hmm. the beneficiary designation is just going to trump whatever your will says. So let's contrast that. Um, Obviously, we're bouncing around on our list, Janet. We'll follow along. (laughs) Since since we're in the the definition phase, we've defined a state, we've defined a will. Let's contrast the will versus a trust. Sure. And the the vast majority, if not close to 100% of our clients that we meet with, I usually do a revocable or sometimes an irrevocable trust with. And people tend to complicate trust and what mm-hmm. they are. The, the uh, visual that I always have people think of as trust is just to think of your estate as an empty Kleenex box. So mm-hmm. we're going to create the Scott Inman Trust and he's got some bank accounts and he's got a house and we're going to fund that box with these Kleenexes that represent different assets. And while you're alive, you can do anything you want to with those assets. If you need to take things out of the box and use it, you do whatever you want to. But at your death, you would nominate an executor in that in our world we call that the successor trustee and you just direct them this is what i want done with all these kleenexes mm-hmm. to give it to this person or that person to a church or a charity there is no public knowledge or oversight process of a probate court judge it can mm-hmm. be done at the convenience of your executor we'll take a little side conversation here for a minute the public knowledge that was the deal that got my dad at at the mm-hmm. end of everything like he didn't he didn't want to do this put it off put it off put it off didn't see a need for it and uh, my brother and I were finally like look this is so important that we'll pay for you to have it done and that got his attention and then when he realized wait a minute, you mean if I don't do this, everything that I own is going to be in the newspaper for somebody else to read? And my dad was a very private man, and he went, okay, done. (laughs) There's a lot of unnecessary information at probate clerk's offices. (laughs) Yes, I would agree with that. That's why they put, uh, they allow lottery winners to be anonymous, right? Right. You don't want everybody to know where to find all of of those assets. So let's talk about, so we've kind of talked about what a will and trust is, what an estate is, but Obviously, there is a little bit of a discovery process on where determining whether someone does need uh, the full kit, right, of, of estate planning tools like a trust. What is the process of that? Uh, what can somebody kind of self-evaluate on before coming to the office? And then what kind of things do you do to determine that? Sure. From a self-evaluation standpoint, I'd really just look to your eventual beneficiaries that you have, kids, grandkids, charities, things like that. If, if it's something even a little bit out of whack other than just uh, dividing things in equal shares among the number of kids you have, you should probably kind of evaluate and go, I should probably go talk to an attorney for that. Mm -hmm. And that's where we spend most of our time in our consultations is just getting to know the clients, the client's heirs, how do they tick, what's going on in their life. So we can kind of issue spot similar to the advisors do of going, hey, you have this child over here that kind of has an issue. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should focus more on this than what you're thinking. And when you talk about a child that has an issue, that makes me think about, and you might not have even been headed this direction, but things like a special needs trust. Um, I have a, an adult friend who has Asperger's, um, and she's 
somewhat high functioning, but she's not ever going to be at a point where she is fully able to make every decision in her life, particularly the financial ones. And so she, her mom, who is in her 80s, has now for quite a number of years had a special needs trust that will come into play when the mom passes away. Right. Yeah. And, and those are the those are the issues that you know of. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, and, and our role as, a, as advisors and fiduciaries is we're looking for the problems that the client might not even think about like if you lost a child early and Mm -hmm. grandchildren inherited or they they became special needs after you had done Mm -hmm. your estate plan because of a car wreck or a stroke or something some health event like that that we're trying to issue spot with them chris i want to take a minute and and talk to our listeners about i believe it would be very easy in listening to this conversation to have already gone I don't have enough to need an estate plan. I don't have enough to need a trust. We hear that all the time. So I want to share a story with you about uh, some young people who came in to see me a few years back. There was a a brother and sister uh, whose mom had passed away from cancer, and the brother and sister were in their 20s. And they came in and said, you know, when you're in your 20s, you're still kind of getting established in life. It's not like they had the ability to cover their own expenses and then a lot on top of that because it's still early in their adult life. And so they came in and said, look, uh, mom didn't have a trust and she still had a mortgage on the house and we don't know what to do because we can't, between the brother and the sister, we can't continue to make the payments cover the taxes and insurance on the house, keep up the utilities, and do our own stuff. What do we do? And we had to get to the point where I I just told them, I said, look, get everything out of the house that matters to you and just let it go. Now, I will tell you, if their mom had known that her decision to not have a trust in place was going to lead to them losing all of the equity that she had built up in that house— uh, and the emotional impact of it and the, the energy drain, all of that, I feel like she would have made a different decision had she known. Right. So, Chris, talk to that that segment of the population that goes, I think trusts are for multimillionaires. Right. Yeah. And that concept is definitely out there because we yeah. think of, you know, societally, we think of like trust fund kids who yeah. don't have to work, but that's right. not what these are for. So really the big selling point of doing a trust-based estate plan is the ease of administration. You mm-hmm. know, in, in the in the example that you just gave, they would have had to go to court and somebody be in charge and you've got to get a hearing and you're talking weeks or months down the road yeah. before anybody has the legal authority to even make a decision. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a trust, you've nominated, nominated somebody to take over the second that you pass away yeah. and they can just step in and do the things that they need to do. Maybe immediately sell a house mm-hmm. to avoid a foreclosure or whatever it is. Yeah. So really it's just more of an ease of administration as opposed to to conceptualizing, I need to have X number of dollars as a net worth before I do mm-hmm. really concrete, thorough planning. I think it gets tied too sometimes to the thought of if you're going to have to be uh, paying the inherit- an inheritance tax, right? I don't have that many assets that that's right. going to be in play, but there, I think you've highlighted that the, the needs go greatly beyond that. And you've, you've, you, we've tipped, uh, dipped our toe into the probate conversation, but let's dive in a little bit more on that because you talked about the will being your ticket to probate uh, into that. It is the court system, but let's talk about what it is and and really the, the the costs of probate, right? Yeah, so the process looks like this. It's it's putting somebody in charge to take ownership of your stuff while you pass away 
and then distribute it as it where it's supposed to go, whether mm-hmm. you passed away with a will or without a will. So typically what will happen is you will open up a probate case in the whatever county that the decedent passed away in or where they're a resident of, and it can take four to six weeks to get an initial hearing and you go before a judge and they say, okay, Janet, you're you're uh, nominated in this will to serve as the executor. Now, here are all the steps that you have to take. But if you want to do something specific like sell a primary residence, mm-hmm. there are additional steps you have to take. You have to get it appraised. You have to have the appraiser approved by me, the probate court judge, and then have a hearing on that. And so it's not necessarily a difficult thing to do because the steps are fairly straightforward. It's just extremely time consuming. And you're talking about the cost of it. Yeah. Most attorney's fees run about three to four percent of whatever the value of the probate estate was so if you've got somebody who had you know a, a very decent home and some money in the bank and you're yeah. getting up to five six seven hundred thousand dollars you're talking about it's a fifteen to thousand or more dollars attorney fees that could have been taken care of much faster and much more economical on the front end when you think about uh, avoiding that and then weighing that cost of upfront taking care of it with a trust, I would think that the difference in cost of establishing a trust pales in comparison to what that probate cost could be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So uh, Chris Rippey is our guest today. He's an attorney at Rippey Steps Law Firm on the Get Ready for the Future show as we talk about the right way to leave a legacy and talking about uh, some factors to consider in your estate planning needs. Uh, What are some things, um, if, if let's talk about if someone does create a trust uh, but they plan to live a long time and do pass that and life happens and things change what needs to be some triggers that people need to consider uh, that would cause them to update or change, modify that? Sure. Trust? Yeah, and we and we work, uh, you know, a lot with the financial advisors. That there's different triggers in your in your life mm-hmm. that you have to reevaluate life insurance needs and how much money you're putting into retirement. And the same thing with estate planning is if you've got any sort of significant life event, this would be death or disability of a loved one, um, a birth of a new child or grandchild, or even somebody that you had placed in a fiduciary role, if they were your power of attorney or your executor, if that person passes away or becomes incapacitated, or they're just getting to a place in their life where you're going, maybe that person doesn't make the most sense to be in this role if something were to happen to me, because you just never know when the time is going to come that something's going to have to be put into place. Right. Uh, If you're out there listening and think, hey, I need to take care of some of this stuff. I've just had a realization that I've never done this and maybe I do need to get a trust. If you'd like to learn some more, we have an opportunity coming up in April. On April 4th at 630, we're going to be on the Hendricks College campus in Conway and we will be having a free workshop and we're talking about how to protect your family through estate planning. Chris Rippey, you're going to be there with our Conway team of advisors, and we're just looking very forward to sharing that information with you. Uh, Post-COVID, we haven't had a whole lot of workshops, so we're excited to get back into that realm again. So again, no cost to attend. Uh, The way you register for that is to go to getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash estate planning, and you can register there for free. Again, the date is April 4th. Uh, Chris, let's talk about some other things that you address with somebody who comes in to do estate planning, we've, we've really focused more on the trust and and what a will is and, and maybe that that's not the answer. Uh, let's talk a little bit, though, about power of attorney. Uh, a lot of people think that 
a power of attorney continues even after somebody passes away. That's something that we've dealt with as advisors quite a bit to to kind of nix that thought. But why don't you walk through that with our listeners a little bit? Right. I would say every other week I can overhear a conversation with my office <laughs> manager on the phone with somebody going, nope, that terminated when they pass away. Yes. You don't have the power of attorney anymore. A very big misconception is mm-hmm. that you can have a power of attorney while somebody's competent or incompetent, but as soon as they pass away, it, it goes away. Um, and so we do, um, we, we really have talked to people a lot about fiduciary roles with power of attorneys and making them immediate during their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily because uh, it, it comes up very often, but when it comes up, it's usually an emergency. Yes, Somebody is. is on vacation in Florida and they have a health event and we don't mm-hmm. have time to have them evaluated by a physician and do all these things to kick into the power of attorney into play. Sometimes it comes up in a really useful ways, like if you're if you're trying to sell a car on behalf of a spouse because they're on a vacation in Europe, mm-hmm. you just never really know when a power of attorney is going to be needed, even if it's not a life and death emergency. I'll tell you, I'm sure you have countless stories uh, along those lines. Uh, the one that ab- about gave me a stroke one time, uh, we had a husband and wife who came in to talk with me and he had a, a one-time opportunity for, with his former employer to choose whether to do a life-only payout uh, or to take a pension. And if he didn't do the paperwork, the automatic choice from the company was going to be that he would get a pension, and it was a life-only pension. So lump sum payout or a life-only pension. And the deal was this guy, I don't remember which organ, and that doesn't really matter, he was on a transplant list. And so he didn't have, even with the transplant, we don't have a normal life expectancy if, if this is the case. And so what happened is that they had come in and made the decision that they were going to do the lump sum payout so that obviously his wife would have access to the funds after he was gone. And it was very clear that this is both what they both wanted to do. Then the paperwork arrived while he was in the hospital in a coma. And she had power of attorney, but it was springing, which meant, as you know, that that two doctors needed to sign off on it. Well, we live in such a litigious society that those two doctors would not sign off on it under any circumstances. Now, thankfully, in their situation, he came out of the coma and he was able to sign the documents like it was less than a day before the deadline was going to expire. It was crazy how close this was, but it literally almost made the difference in her having money after he's gone and not having anything after he was gone. Right. And just since uh, the uh, COVID pandemic, you and I have worked on a case yes. of, of a couple in their early 30s yes. that didn't have that plan. And the wife goes into a coma and yeah. it would have helped a lot if we had some sort of power of attorney at that time. Yeah. You just never know. I, I, I think that's a very valid point these days especially that it is not age-based. It really is not. When you think about, uh, let's kind of take this through the process of, let's say someone has come in and they've created a trust. It is a living trust. Let's talk about the considerations of what to put in it now versus what goes into it after death. Yes. And so we talked a lot to clients about, we call that the funding process, right? Going back to my Kleenex example is you can create the most well-crafted Kleenex box that has all these different contingencies, but if you don't go put your Kleenexes in there, mm-hmm. you kind of wasted your time and money. So we'll, that, you know, because of the estate tax threshold, and I'm sure we'll get there in a minute, is so high, usually how much they're worth is, is kind of an irrelevant or down the road um, uh, conversation for us. 
We just want to talk about making sure that we have a thorough understanding of what they have and how to correctly either retitle that into the trust name or maybe change some beneficiary designations yeah. to where if there was money left in those accounts, it would flow in there at their death. And Chris, this is something we're very grateful for this. This is something that you actually do for our GenWealth clients as, as part of the process, because uh, prior to, to working with you in the past, we might have somebody who would come in with an estate plan and they think that they've got everything done because they have their notebook and then we start looking through things like ownership of the house and we go "Mm, no it's still in the husband and wife's name it's not in the name of the trust and so they haven't funded it so I I think it's important uh, if you're out there listening and your attorney gave you homework to do and you haven't done it you're probably not in as good a place as you think you're in. You got to do your homework. Yeah, you got to do, you your, gotta do your homework. And that's one of the first questions I ask clients when I'm reviewing trust from out of state or from other attorneys. Yeah. Before I even read it, I will ask them, what's in here? And the, you, know, you get this glazed look. What, what do you mean, what's in here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because some of it hasn't been titled in the trust name yet. Right? Yeah. And, and you mentioned the beneficiaries. So the, we've talked about on this show many times the Secure Act, uh, cha- the first Secure Act, changed the rules about how uh, IRAs have to be withdrawn by the next generation. So there are now some laws that have changed there. How do you go about deciding where the trust's place is in an individual retirement account? Sure. And those IRAs, your 401ks, your qualified money that has never been taxed on. With a typical married client, we almost always suggest that your spouse be the primary beneficiary of those accounts. And then we make the trust the contingency because with inside the trust, we're going to decide all of the what ifs. What Mm -hmm. if somebody passed away or became disabled or there was some sort of legal issue in the future and a correctly drafted trust, it would just see right through the bucket and it would have the same rules as the SECURE Act does if it if it was an individual beneficiary. Yeah, I mean, it, from my personal experience, you know, going through the trust planning, we went through every scenario possible. What if this? What if that? And it's, mm. it's a challenge, yeah. uh, even for somebody who is of a planning mindset, Scott, as we are as advisors, to think through all of the scenarios. When you have, you have young teenage children and it's like, I don't know who they're going to marry. I don't know if we're going to always like that person or just like that person for a little while. You know, there's there's all kinds of possibilities. And I really do believe that I, you've, you've done a very thorough job in covering the what ifs. Yeah, I think one of the questions, too, we get a lot of times by, when clients are getting ready to build the trust is they want to put their IRA in the trust now. And that's mm-hmm. not something that they can do. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that can have extreme negative tax consequences. And, yeah. you know, a real well-written trust will leave some flexibility on your executor to maybe play a little game with the IRS. So, for example, if you have a client who has two children and one teaches school in Mina and one is a neurosurgeon in the DFW area, they have a slightly different earning capability. Yeah, yeah. So it might not make sense for one child, your higher earning child, to get half of your IRA. As long as they got half of the value of your estate, it might make sense. But if they're already way up here in the federal tax bracket, I might want to do a little uneven distribution of certain assets to maximize our tax planning. And a really well-written trust will give the trustee the authority to do that kind of stuff. Because it's about net dollars or net value, not about the pre-tax amount. That's right. And you're right. That can be a very different game from one person to another. One of the uh, time-consuming parts of building a trust can be, unless you've already thought it out beforehand, is who to name in all these spots. You know, we've spent a little time 
defining what a trust is, what a will is, but you've we've tossed around some terms like executor, POA, uh, trustee. What do all those things mean and what considerations should someone take uh, in naming those? Sure. Yeah. So the, the most important role, two roles in a trust based estate plan are going to be who is your successor trustee, mm-hmm. the person who steps in that trustee role after you, and then who is your power of attorney during your lifetime? Mm-hmm. A lot of the times the your financial power of attorney is the same person as your successor trustee because it makes sense that if they're going to distribute stuff at death, maybe they should be managing your finances if you became incapacitated. But really, we've talked to clients about not necessarily defaulting to an easy answer like my oldest child or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. We want to go with who is the most likely person to be here when you're gone and is the most thorough with money and paperwork and uh, relational dynamic management mm-hmm, with something, mm-hmm. depending on what your family dynamics are. Yeah, that relational dynamic is huge. We see that from the advisor perspective as well. So I've got one more term to give you for a, a definition. Let's talk about guardians and guardianship, uh, both of minors and of adults when that comes into play. Right. So a guardian is somebody who is legally responsible for somebody else. We think of guardians as somebody who would be raising a child that's not their biological child. And we talk about that in our consultations with our clients that have kids who are minors of going, let's come up with a hierarchy of who is going to raise your children the most like you with Mm -hmm. the the same Mm -hmm. similar values and things that you're trying to pass on to your kids that not is not necessarily money related. Right. Which is different than if you have a power of attorney or, or not and become incapacitated and you're elderly who in your life makes the most sense to step in and make end of life type decisions and manage your finances while you're unable mm-hmm. to do so? And personally, on the on the guardianship, uh, when we updated everything, our son was 18 and it, he was fine and didn't need it. Um, and technically, we could have had him be the guardian of his little sister. And Absolutely. We went, um, no, <laughs> you know, we didn't want that responsibility on him or for her to feel like he was now all of a sudden kind of like dad, too. And so we sat down with her. She was old enough to, for us to have the conversation and go, OK, we've got two or three choices. Which one do you want it to be? And and I think that, you know, even though we will likely never be in a situation where she has to use that. If we do get to that point, the discussion of that makes things easier. And I think that that applies really across the board on every aspect that we're talking about to discuss these things with your family and with the people who are involved so that there are no surprises and everybody can go, no, remember we talked about this. Right. We are talking about the right way to leave a legacy on today's Get Ready for the Future show with our guest, Chris Rippey, attorney at Rippey Steps Law. And we just have a few minutes left, Chris. Let's talk a little bit about what do we want to ask, at least generally, how long-term care issues could could intersect with um, the issues of estate planning. Sure. And so for our clients who are older are trying to protect certain assets and they bring up this issue, usually what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that if they had some sort of significant health event and had to spend a long-term stay into a nursing home, they're not having to spend every single dollar that they've accumulated during their lifetime. So they're talking about qualifying for Medicaid. And so to qualify for Medicaid, you either have to spend down assets to a certain level or you have to remove them from your name five years before you try Mm -hmm. to qualify for Mm -hmm. Medicaid. So there is an opportunity for certain clients with certain income needs and asset levels of putting in 
assets into an irrevocable trust, which mm-hmm. is significantly different than my Kleenex box example that I used right. earlier, because once you have created it and put certain assets in it, for the most part, with a few exceptions, you, the trust creator, cannot get it back out. Yeah. So it, it's something that conceptually clients are going to have to be okay with. I'm going to open this Kleenex box and put stuff in there. Yeah but I'm never going to touch it again for the rest of my life because I want to make sure it's here for the kids or the grandkids. And and while there are certain situations where that's the right fit, I'll say across my client base, I think I have two who have an irrevocable trust and hundreds upon hundreds Mm. who have revocable trust. Um, It's just, it's the flexibility of it. And, and again, even I would say the people who are working with GenWealth Financial Advisors, by the nature of working with us, this means that they have assets to invest. They're not at a point where they're going to qualify, at least initially, for Medicaid to come in because of that spin-down feature that you talked about, Chris. So if you're thinking that Medicaid's going to cover long-term care, Hmm. it's probably not if you have investable assets. And so we we do want to look at that, that full picture. And I would say also to not make the decision out of fear. The people who have come in talking to me about, I I need to get an irrevocable trust. And again, I'm going to say I'm not an attorney. It's not up to me. But what we find out is that they're scared that the nursing home is going to come take their stuff. Right. And that's not the reality of how this works. Sure. We've become very good with our what I call our stress test. In the yeah. middle of a consultation yeah. is looking at the income, looking at the assets, looking at our 75-year-old client and go, you know you have to live to 106 before you actually run out of money, right? <laughs> let's, let's kind of get some perspective yeah. on this. Yeah. yeah. Get a retirement income plan in place that allows for that contingency or, or even look to insurance to leverage uh, some of those long-term care costs would be options. Plus, you have to be, you mentioned being comfortable uh, with not being able to access the assets. You also have to be comfortable with receiving the quality of care that Medicaid pays for That's as correct. well. You take some control away there you heard the bell there that means it is time for our final thoughts and chris we'll let your final thought be just tell us about what are the steps to get started uh, with the estate planning process and how can people get in touch with you sure they can get in touch with us by phone our uh, phone number is 501-428-9139 or they can email me directly at chris chris at rippy and rippy is spelled r-i-p-p-y the initial steps are super easy they'll just fill out a little intake form and they'll schedule something with my office manager kyle to come in we do we don't do consultation fees we just kind of get that first hour hour and a half to get to know clients and what their needs are and just put a plan together for them however they tell us that's the great part of being the state planning attorney is i don't really have an opinion they just tell me what to do (laughs) if you're listening and you need some more information before you go in and and meet with chris one-on-one a great opportunity for you is coming up in conway at hendrix college on april 4th april 4th so that's 4-4 we can remember that one on april 4th at 6 30 p.m we will be on the hendrix campus talking about how to protect your family through estate planning and chris will be there with us so you can meet him and learn some more one-on-one that evening. And as all of our workshops are, no sales pitch there. We're just providing education. And if you want to learn more past that uh, April 4th event, obviously we'll be available to do that. My final thought is don't forget about the half-off financial plan offer for the month of March. Get in, get a retirement income plan built for you. Take a step closer to financial independence. All you have to do to take advantage is text the word MADNESS to 501-381-5228. We're stopping the madness during March Madness. Or call us at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526.
And that's all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. We hope you learned something on today's program, the right way to leave a legacy, that phase of financial independence that is passing it on to the next generation. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, share the podcast with your friends and family. The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.